I'm delighted to share I am now delivering podcast training courses for the London School of Public Relations. The One Day Essentials of Podcasting certificated short course is highly practical and packed full of useful information to get you on the road to producing your own professional podcasts. The podcast course will help you to create, edit, deliver and promote your podcast. The course also provides useful tips and tricks on producing professional and effective results. So you can find out about these in-person and online training courses at educationonfire.com forward slash LSPR. The National Association for Primary Education has an SEND conference in association with the University of Bedfordshire on the 26th of April 2024. This is a hybrid event and available to anybody in person or online. Please go to nape.org.uk for more information. That's nape.org.uk. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I just wanted to quickly mention, if you haven't been to our YouTube channel yet, please do that. We've got some other videos and material that we've recorded for you there. If you go to educationonfire.com forward slash YouTube, it'll take you there. You'll see the live streams and, and other videos that are available for you to watch. Now, today I'm delighted to be chatting to Gemma Drinkle. And Gemma is an educational wellbeing coach, trainer and supervisor with the ambition to transform middle leaders' quality of life for the betterment of themselves, their students and their team. With over nine years' experience working in the education sector as a classroom teacher, head of year and co-head of department, Gemma is well-versed in the challenges and daily grind that teachers face just to survive. The switch from career-obsessed teacher to qualified coach, trainer and supervisor is the source of Gemma's superpowers. Having experienced panic attacks, low mood and anxiety, she crashed and burned out of her teaching career. She brings these personal experiences to her work, making it her mission to help other middle leaders avoid the same fate and instead create clear boundaries so that they can switch off from teaching and switch on in their lives. Gemma is the host of the popular Teachers with Boundaries podcast, which shares tips and advice for teachers on how they can switch off from teaching, reduce the overwhelm and guilt and increase their time, energy and happiness. Now, as I've mentioned before on the show, I love it when people not only talk about how they want to change their lives or or help people in education, but have this sort of hands-on practical and experience-based way of of bringing something new in the world to help us all. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Gemma Drinkle. Hi, Gemma. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Teacher well-being is something which we have covered in the past, but I think in terms of this sort of explicit way that people are able to support now and be aware and that time management, I think all of us in education know what that feels like. I think it's going to be such a really important conversation. Yeah, so thanks so much for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So can you just first of all take us into who is it explicitly that you're helping? Is it all teachers? It's middle leaders? It's kind of um, senior leadership? How, how does it sort of work and what are you sort of offering? Well, I, I suppose my like main audience is middle leaders, but then it helps anyone and therefore everyone gets involved. So um, the reason why it was originally middle leaders is because I, that's that's what I used to do. I'm an ex-religious studies teacher. I was a co-head of department, head of year. Um, so I kind of just feel like middle leaders are usually the the group that kind of they get squashed, um, you know, demands from above, demands from below. Also, you've got to be an outstanding teacher in a classroom as well. 
and um but they also kind of get a bit for- forgotten occasionally you know there's a lot of focus on hub and ec2s and slt but the middle leaders can sometimes get forgotten so that's kind of why i focus mainly on middle leaders but i also work with senior leaders i've also got ec2s who, who come to me and work with me and also you know increasingly we've got ec2s who are middle leaders as well because there's not really enough offers going around. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's got to pick up something. And, you know, often it's easy to do that. So, Yeah, it's been a while since I was in school, but even my maths can work out the number of people compared to the number of roles is probably not quite fitting in the way that it should be. Yeah, and, you know, number of students with that and uh, the amount of funding and resources. Yeah, it's it's all bad maths at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so take us into that sort of, education journey while you were still teaching how was it that you found it from a reality point of view compared to your sort of perspective when you were sort of heading into the profession first of all um well I tend to go into anything with complete and utter blind optimism um so I'm not someone who ever wanted to be a teacher um I kind of my mum was the one who kept suggesting it to me and I was very much like I don't think that's for me um I'd hate to I used to say I'd hate to inflict that upon anyone else I don't even know what that means thinking back now but um you know just I I was in a job that I utterly despise and you know oh why don't you try teaching And, and I was like maybe actually maybe maybe that would be a good idea and you know just fell head over heels in love with it really um so I was in my mid-20s and it was just yeah, you know, when I started telling people, oh, I'm going to be a teacher, they were like, oh, that's quite stressful, isn't it? And I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And um, my motto during my PGC was very much like, you know, Dory from Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. It'll be fine. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Whatever happens, does matter. Keep on swimming. Um, and I think like during your PGC, you have very much of a, it's a bit of a sheltered experience. And it's when you get into your your first year that you're like, oh my God, it's so much admin that I wasn't doing before and now I'm being expected to do. And wow, actually dealing with the form group is, is so much more stressful than I, you know, when you just take up a morning activity once a week in, in PGC. So yeah, I definitely just went in with blind optimism. And, but then it, it kind of suited me because actually I loved it. You know, I loved, I loved the students. Um, so secondary school and I think many people who aren't in education are like surely that's terrifying dealing with teenagers all the time but actually it's just so much fun and you know I, I loved my subject you know my background is ethics so actually getting into like GCSE and A level and teaching ethics was just a huge passion and I used to get really super excited and te- the, you know the, the students were just like all right miss calm down but like I just yeah I just let it take over because I'm naturally a workaholic, which lends itself to being a teacher, but also is not actually that healthy. Um, and I enjoyed what I did. I cared about what I did. Um, but that blind optimism meant that I just didn't actually pay attention to the negative things that were happening, whether that was overwhelm, like overworking, stress, and and a whole load of other things that kind of came on later. And do you think the the way the school year is actually structured is a hindrance to that? Because there is that sense of there are certain times in life where things just are busy and they are what they are. And as a teacher, there's a lot of hours and like I say, lots of moving parts going on. But I know that in X number of weeks, I've got a week off or six weeks off or the Christmas holidays or whatever it happens to be. So you kind of always feel like it's okay because then I'll be able to recover. 
as opposed to if the, if it was slightly differently organized it'll be that kind of i can't sustain this over an entire year and actually i would maybe put these sort of supportive measures in place earlier on yeah i think that it is a boom and bust cycle you know you and i think particularly like at the beginning of the school year you know you've had like 6 weeks off so you have that kind of well there should i should be able to go 100 miles an hour because i've had all this rest time um there's and and i think also the school like the school term it doesn't really allow for you to work up the gears and then work back down the gears it is very much hi welcome back fifth gear let's go and it's <laughs> it is just that intensity and you know i kind of say to like my clients like you know life is for all year round it isn't just for half term that you've got to put yourself into that school term because otherwise yeah you you start to feel a bit um you know resentful that oh i can't see my friends and hang out with my family and stuff unless it's half term or you, you know you're physically you break yourself down like our bodies are just in such a high state of stress that the moment half term arrives it's like okay your body goes oh, i can be ill now good okay let's get that out of our system that we've been holding on for two for the last three weeks so it does kind of lend itself to it i mean i if, if i had my way and i'm not not sure if everyone would agree with me but actually i would break it down into smaller smaller terms again like actually you know every month you get a few days off type of thing but then like you know it is the problem of well when do you take that longer holiday it would be amazing in an ideal world that we had enough teachers to be like yeah I'm going to take a well-being day off today and and it's no stress to anyone because actually you can just you know take that day off but there are an increasing number of schools that are doing those well-being days and I think that is kind of crucial because it does acknowledge that you know we're humans and you know we can't work at that right and if we can it's not actually good for us and we can't sustain it for for long periods of time um so it does it does lend itself to it um but there are ways that we could probably think about it differently yeah i know my daughter she's just um entered the sick form now and they've got a well-being morning where they have the first period off every other week um which they all love because they can just sleep for slightly longer. And I think one of the things that most of the teenagers I come across, so they just think if we could just start an hour later, it would just give us a chance to come to and have time because we'd want to eat breakfast because we've actually been up for long enough. Um, and and those sorts of things. And, and one of the other things they've actually said is actually having um, an extra day off in the week so that you felt like the middle day, for example, would actually be a day off because there's always stuff they need to do for school. And then, the, as we all know, the day before school, you're cranking up again to get ready. So to have a day in the middle, which is kind of, oh, I feel like this is actually a piece of rest time where I can actually sort of take a step back and enjoy it. And I just think mm. I really love their kind of imagination of that kind of, well, why can't it be like that? And, you know, we can talk about all those things about because the system's like it is and it can't change and it's like a tanker and all that kind of thing but i think when they just sort of come at it sort of but i need this because this would be really helpful i think it's really fascinating to hear and like you say there are more and more opportunities probably less so in schools but in the workplace generally where people are saying yeah we can do this or we can do a slightly remote situation on this particular day or whatever it happens to be and it is making a difference to people generally i think yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I have a post-it note um, above my desk that says, what can I get away with? And it, it is that kind of more creative thing, not how can I cut corners and be lazy, but actually what joyous things can I create that, that you know, maybe outside of the box thinking. And 
you know, there are schools that are trying to do that more flexible thing. Um, I was lucky enough to work for one of them that, you know, those those flexible working ambassador schools or now flexible working ambassador um, multi-academy trusts or whatever that, that long phrase is, um, that are kind of being more, actually, there are ways that we can do this. Now, I remember chatting to one of my friends who's a primary school teacher um, about flexibility. And they were like, well, it's just impossible as a primary school teacher. Like, you just, you can't because you are the teacher. You've got to be there all the time. And it's like, well, actually, like, you know, studies have shown kids will cope perfectly fine if you have two teachers. Like, it's it's not a, I think it becomes very much of a martyr kind of thing. Like, well, no, it has to be me that's there. And I have to be, and and I have to do all of these things. Well, actually... Do you have to do these things? You know, are all of these things expectations or do we get to a point where actually we have such high expectations of ourselves that we're like, well, no, I have to do all of these things to get my lesson prepared. Well, actually, maybe not. If you did 10% less, it might not actually impact your your student output, for instance. So, yeah, that creative thinking is... It, it gets lost in the stress of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I was just thinking about that because the days I remember where you have a substitute teacher coming in, which generally speaking is a fairly write-off in terms of a learning experience. So if you're pushing yourself and you're then not there, then that makes a big difference. But if you think about, you know, certainly in primary, you know, if you think about the teaching assistants, you know, within the classroom, there's more than one person and they have roles that actually are supporting children in each of those days. So like I say, if you have, you know, a split job where you have two teachers, they just become a role which looks like this in my year this year, as it were. And I can, you know, you also within secondary, you know, you might have a subject where you have two teachers and they're covering slightly different things. I think as long as the it's obvious what you're doing, you you know, kids especially are very much in the moment, aren't they? We're doing this now and this is how it's working and and, and they sort of jump to it. And I think they like to say just setting those things up to begin with are probably is probably a really important thing. Yeah, I mean students are remarkably adaptable. I and mean, I don't think we always give them enough credit for that. Um it's actually the adults often that aren't adaptable. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Yeah so take us into exactly sort of having sort of established I think we all know what that feels like for the overwhelm and the time and, and all the pressures that are on what is it that you're able to do to support people in terms of is it a practical program is it advice is it kind of small little things that they can take in how does it kind of sort of develop when you're working with them so I mean it, it all does stem from my own experience of burnout so I think that's the first thing that I kind of say is like I've, I've been there I get how it is and looking back on my time as a teacher, you know, that positive um, blind optimism was very much then what what stopped me because I was like, well, I can, I, you know, I can do everything. I can say yes to everything, all, all these things. And when I looked back on my career, I was like, actually, the one thing I didn't have was boundaries. I, I just I let teaching have a VIP access, you know, all access pass to my life do come home with me, do come to bed with me, do be in the shower with me in the mornings. Let's think about it all the time. Let's let's work all the time. So the work that I do now is very much based on my own boundaries framework. And it's kind of, there's different elements to it. So if you are looking for like just that small bite size, daily little tasks that you can do, then that's part of my Thriving Middle Leaders program where you just receive a, a weekly 15 minute video and that is it. Like I know how busy people are, like the request to even look at an extra thing sometimes can just be like the cherry on top that just shatters everything. So it's about having small achievable things. Um, and that 
is all for my boundaries framework. So it's kind of 10 different ways that you can approach teaching in a way that will help you to thrive. Um, you know, looking after yourself, prioritizing your needs, um, being able to say no, celebrating and dancing in your own teacher awesomeness, like all these things that kind of just can help you to be a bit more fun and 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 kind of rediscover actually how to make teaching work for you. Um, so that's kind of like one element. And then I also do like coaching and supervision, which is more that one-to-one work and actually, you know, what is it specifically for you that might make a positive difference? So that's kind of more self-creation um with the client which is really fun because then so often you know I come in with well these things might help but actually the client is like oh actually I could try this and that would work for them and and that's what's really nice about the opportunity to coach people and so that's sort of very sort of individual responsibility where you've got a client coming in saying I need help and support like say in whichever way that happens to be do you also sort of get schools and multi-academy trusts approach you and saying can you come and deliver a talk or or something like that and how does that then work beyond that yes this is what we need to do followed by the the follow-up and, and the support beyond that sort of wow day in inverted yeah. Yeah, I mean, a follow up is certainly something I'm still working on. So yeah, I do um, visit schools and do inset day presentations. But yeah, so typically, it's like more like a workshop, um, small groups, like up to 20. And it's like, you know, these are specific tools that you can use that will help you to say no, that will help you to prioritize your needs that will help you to pour from a full cup you know that like oxygen mask analogy um for me it's pouring from a full cup so if you fill your cup up first then you can pour into the cups of your students and stuff and and there's you know we don't expect a kettle to boil when it's empty we don't expect our cars to run if there's no petrol in it but we expect that of ourselves so often to just you know well it doesn't matter you know teachers are so often at the bottom of their own food chain like oh you know my knees don't really matter and no I haven't really slept enough and no, I haven't had lunch and I haven't peed in days but I'm going to keep on doing my work it's it's flipping that narrative on its head and saying that actually when you're happy healthy and well what you want to achieve those you know good things for your students being an effective teacher those things come when you are happy healthy and well it's it's not those things at the sacrifice of yourself so I do go into schools and, and and run workshops on that. The follow-up is more of the challenge, isn't it? It's it's getting people to then follow through. But then I think that's that's where like my Thriving Middle Leaders program is now coming in as a it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a scary thing. It can be small bite-sized changes. I think there's a there's a book by James Clear with a, uh, called Atomic Habits. And it's about making those small incremental changes. Like if you change something 1% each day over the course of the year, you've got like a 364% change. It's it's that kind of mentality rather than I'm going to change everything tomorrow and have the perfect work-life balance immediately. It just doesn't, we're not that good at change. So it won't happen. No, and, and, I, and I think the balance often isn't a very supportive word because it kind of feels like it has to be the same all the time. So saying I'm never going to work on a Sunday evening is a great idea, but you don't know what Monday looks like for the rest of the year. Whereas the word harmony, I think, often comes in. I mean, certainly as a musician myself, you know, if I happen to have shows every night of the week, I'm going to be tired in the morning if I've got to go into a school and teach. 
But I know that the following week that might not be the case. And so therefore I'm able to kind of prioritize things in a different way. And over the course of, you know, a month or six months or whatever, that, that, that ebb and flow, I'm able to take care of it with sort of purposeful planning and thinking and that kind of thing. So I think, like you say, that balance is a little bit sometimes a hindrance as well as, as well as a supportive yeah. thing and yeah. you sort of mentioned you mentioned before the sort of the martyrism kind of thing from teachers which I think most people can identify with do you think there's also a sense of actually if I don't do this something really terrible is going to happen I mean I don't remember you know or hearing anything about a teacher being sacked because they didn't work 24 hours a day I mean it might be looked on or frowned upon because you're supposed to do what you but you know having these open conversations about having these boundaries how does it then sort of feed feed back in and how can you have those conversations with maybe your senior leadership if you're sort of in the middle there and say well actually I'm going to make it look like this and I want it to be a supportive role for us all rather than me kind of sort of digging my heels in and saying no I'm sort of taking control of my life but it's going to have a what you perceive to be a negative um, connotation for the rest of the school? I think that's a really good question. I mean, there is, there's numerous perceptions going on. I mean, I worked in a very, very good school, really very supportive school, particularly when I had my like complete breakdown. So helpful. But there were elements of the environment in which I worked in that on the face of it looked very positive, but actually it could be quite toxic because there was this one-upmanship with, with your colleagues. Oh, so-and-so's done that. That's so amazing. Oh, I should probably be doing that as well. Oh, they've been marking like that. Oh, I should do that as well. And that actually, it's 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 opening up those conversations really and actually just kind of be more realistic. There's a tool that I offer many teachers where I say, actually take this to your line manager and, you know, talk talk with them through this is what my work schedule looks like this is what my timetable is this is how long I think all of these things are going to take it's not adding up so what what are my you know according to you what do you think my priorities are so that you create that conversation because it may be in your head these are my priorities and then you you have that conflict with your manager because they're like no these are your priorities so actually it's just it's just being brave in moments taking those awkward conversations and being like actually you know if this is a priority well what are you going to take off my plate because I haven't currently got capacity for it and I think that that capacity I think is actually a really crucial thing capacity versus capability we so often as teachers are like well I'm only a capable teacher if I'm doing all of this work and I'm going above and beyond which is basically another word for normal these days because everyone goes above and beyond and and if you aren't you know if you haven't got the capacity to do that you can't be a capable teacher that those they're two very different things you know it's kind of like you said you know you may have the capacity of one day that you've got a, a gig in the evening and then the next early morning you've you've got school and and you're you're in school teaching students well you know that might then that that might be your cup feel like actually that's my capacity but actually you're very capable the fact that the next evening you're like I'm absolutely knackered and I can't do anything further that doesn't say that you're not capable of what you do um so I think it's it's that we've got to be kind to ourselves we've got to acknowledge we're not robots you know we're humans we've got to look after ourselves um and that yeah, we, we don't have to work 24 hours to be a capable teacher. That is, it's two different things. 
Yeah, and I, I love that sort of the communication side of it and, and the conversation because I, I think what you said there is a really important point that so many schools have amazing things in place when you hit crisis, whether you're a pupil, whether you're a member of staff, you know, well-being suddenly becomes the most important thing in the world. Mm. However, if you take that back a few steps, the situation that you're in for a pupil or a teacher is actually detrimental to your well-being just because of the way the system is set up. I often, you know, think about, you know, the amount of sleep that children need. Um, teachers who are overworked because they're working all day and then having to work into the evening. Well, if you think about a child who's also growing, who's in school from eight something to maybe three, four, five, depending on what they're doing, and then maybe clubs in the evening and then homework. Well, the same thing applies to them, plus the fact they don't have the skills and the experience necessarily in place to cope with that, which they're doing from now the age of four to 18. Yeah. And you just think it's great that you can support them when they're really struggling. But actually, maybe if it didn't look like this to begin with, <laughs> actually, we wouldn't get to that stage. And so I think understanding that while at the moment there isn't a silver bullet that's going to change that, having these conversations and having that communication and like I say, what can I take off my plate? How can I look at this differently? What can I do to take some control and be aware of what this harmony or balance is going to look like really does make a difference then. And I think, like I say, the perception is probably the biggest thing because what you think is my expectation or someone else's expectation might not actually be the case. And I think we, we all get in our own heads, don't we? Which I guess is probably <laughs> probably the where, where the majority of the issues start to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that idea of perception as well, the word that came to my mind as you said that was was vocation. Like, I hate the word vocation. It's very ironic, actually. You know, as a religious studies teacher, I take the word vocation very traditionally, literally, like it's a calling from God that, you know, this is what you're going to do with your life. And if it's a calling from God or calling from high above, whatever you want to call it, then, you know, it, it almost gives teaching if you call it a vocation permission to to take over your, your life you know if it's your vocation why do you need a work-life balance because it's a vocation not work if it's a vocation then then why do you need to look after yourself there's no need to because it's your vocation that is your priority that perspective shift has to move to teaching as a job you know you provide a service and you receive financial compensation in return and although that may sound really another religious word like blasphemous to many people like it's so much more than that yeah it's a really good job and it's really important to people and it's and it's great that it aligns with people's values and things but actually until you change that perspective and say it's a job and therefore I'm allowed to have a work-life balance or work-life harmony I quite like the phrase work-life blend because you kind of make Mm -hmm. it I imagine like a coffee and you like blend it how you want it to be um you know there's 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 no permission there to, to have that unless it begins to be seen again as a job and the teachers that I see that are actually thriving in teaching are the ones that go yeah you know what what doesn't get done doesn't get done and if they want that to be done then they're gonna have to take something else off me they are far more um confident in their stance of this is what I've got capacity for and this is what I'm going to do. And I think ultimately, like, you know, we're in a situation where teachers are taking on more and more stuff. You know, they're expected to be, you know, social carers. They're expected to be mental health first aiders. You know, they're expected to be counsellors. They're expected to be all of these things that actually we need to have a reality check. One group of people that has got this much expectation, it doesn't work. 
and that there's got to be a and I know that I'm not asking for anything small but like it's it's got to be kind of actually this isn't this isn't working and and we've got to kind of go back to what is our priority what are the main roles that we are expected to do and it's having that emotional boundary so often that we expect you know oh we want to do these things because it'll help the students you know we're just one person we can't help you know just secondary school teacher like you know 300 odd students like it's just stretching one resource too thinly and we've got to kind of elasticate them back to to being more whole because the important thing is that you're going to be there for your you know if you go down that vocational route I'd I'd rather that you were there as a, a vocational teacher in 20 years time as opposed to two years when you've completely decided that it's not for you and you're not able to do it because you're going to affect much more people in a much more positive way and one of the things we talk a lot about here on the show is the fact that everybody has a stake is a stakeholder in every pupil's life you know whether it's the parents whether it's the teacher the school at large the clubs they're involved in their local community whatever it happens to be and that looks different for every child as well so depending on where you fit as that particular teacher in that particular environment is going to be different and I think they learn so much from the way that you show up and that comes from like you say how you're feeling the boundaries that you've had what that then looks like and feels like to them based on what you've done and it's really hard to quantify all that which is another reason it's so difficult in education at the moment because everything has to have a number or be easily mm. sort of graded in some way or another um and i also liked what you said about the kind of the shift in in what's actually possible and I mean, a little bit like the nhs you know we, we need more people we need more funding that's not going to happen today so let's we know we're in crisis we know the education system is really struggling so let's forget about trying to do what the perception is let's go back to what can we do what should we be able to do and what's going to make the biggest difference to everybody to survive and we know it's not ideal but we're not trying to fix it because we can't we're doing the best that we can but by acknowledging that and looking after ourselves then we are making a difference in the only way that we currently can in maybe the next conversation or your next day's work and and i think when everyone's on that page much in the same as when you know there's a national crisis a bit like the pandemic you know well i can't do my teaching as i did it last week because we're no longer in school so it's fine for us to suddenly go okay we're going to do it differently and then with that comes a freedom albeit obviously a lot of work in that particular situation but there's suddenly a chance to do it a different way with permission and i think that feels very different then and then like i say if everyone's on the same page in that scenario then i think it feels different and the stress levels probably go down even if the workload looks slightly different yeah i mean it just it brings about that sense of empowerment that suddenly like you've got that kind of autonomy that actually rather than you know everything's shit and you've got to like make do with that you know flip it on its head okay well how can we make it a little less shit and that that kind of it then feels you know you go into these things to make a difference and then that's how you feel like you are making a difference because you aren't fighting I mean I think what's happening at the moment is you know education is in this really in the grand scheme of things, terrible state, you know, lack of funding, lack of resources, lack of staff, lack of recruitment, lack of retention, lack of buildings staying up, all of these things. And yet just we are basics. still, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just the basics, you know, no biggie. And at the same time, we're then, but we got to keep functioning like everything's fine. And therefore you got to keep, you know, we keep up, it's like keeping up appearances. Actually, we've got to acknowledge that, you know, it's not working right now. And we 
can do something about that, that, you know, one individual, okay, maybe not make a difference, but as a collective, if we all start kind of, you know, prioritizing our needs and saying, actually, this is what I have capacity to do and working within that capacity rather than overstretching all the time, um, which leads to that burnout, which means that fewer people are sticking around and things. It's, it is possible. I just, I'm just very aware each time I say these things, I'm like, but it sounds really impossible when you say it out loud, but actually it's those incremental changes. It's that 1% um, that can make a difference. Yeah. And I love the fact that, you know, you've explained how that can be done. You know, can I just watch this video? Can I be part of your, your world and your community where I'm just supporting you in whichever way that can be? Because that might be the difference between this week feeling completely overwhelming and actually realising there's a group of teachers here that are able to do that. Because you might be in the most supportive school and that's fantastic if you are. I suspect there are lots of people listening who think, yeah, I'm not sure my school kind of feels like that or I could have that conversation in an easy way. But then if you surround yourself with a community, if it happens to be online or in a social media group or whatever that happens to be, then you can kind of take that on board and be supported in a different kind of way. And I think that's the beauty of the of the modern world is that you can you can find your tribe and it's not necessarily the education tribe it's the type of educators or the type of people that are going to sort of fill you up in that way to to make sure that today is much easier than you thought it might be yeah oh I love that I mean I that's that has reminded me that that is that is literally what what the thriving middle leaders is is about it's not just me providing the trainings and stuff but it's actually and it is already beginning to happen because it's only a couple of months old at the moment that you know people are beginning to help each other you know I've got this student who's just driving me up the wall. Oh, I've got similar, you know, what have you tried? And like actually just having someone. And also I think the geographical, like actually they're not in the same school, therefore they don't know exactly the same thing. Um, that external support can be quite um, cathartic. Um, but also, yeah, it can make you feel actually, you know what? It isn't, it isn't so bad that actually there are things, there are things that I can do and there are people behind me Um because I think very often, you know, if you're one teacher who wants to have those boundaries, but you're the only teacher in your school that's trying to do that, then you're going against the grain all the time. And that can feel really tiring. But knowing you've got a group of people that maybe aren't physically present, but that community, it, it, it can make such a positive difference. Yeah, I agree. And is there um, an education experience or a teacher that you remember that kind of I don't know, gave you some inspiration and it might be a positive or negative experience in terms of how you sort of brought that in. Um, but And how does that maybe work in terms of, of what you're doing now? Is that you sort of have that sense of, I can relate to this and therefore it's sort of affected my work in, in a positive way? Um, I mean, interestingly, the, the first person that comes to mind is not someone who inspired that kind of, the, the, the work that I do now, but they certainly inspired me to want to be a teacher actually and that was my own religious studies teacher when I was at school Mrs Kelly she was just epic I loved her so much she was definitely one of those people in year seven freaking terrifying but by the time you get to sixth form you're like oh my god I love you so much mm -hmm. and just that like passion and sassiness I just loved her to bit so I very much wanted to be kind of a version of her when I became a teacher but I think the most the bit that stuck with me the most actually was during my own career when I was in a bit of a bad patch and my line manager who's one of the assistant heads at the time kind of said well Gemma your well-being is your own responsibility 
And I remember being like, what? No, it isn't. Like, it's not my fault I'm working during my lunch. It's not my fault that I'm, you know, going to bed late, having just finished work and I feel like I need to do more. It's not my fault that I'm getting in at ridiculous o'clock in the morning. It's not my fault. And I kind of stopped and I was like, oh, wait a minute. No, actually, I I have chosen to do these things. And, and that word fault was quite a very victimizing kind of one it's not my fault that these things are being done to me actually you know what I have responsibility and um from that point I then did start you know at lunchtime I stopped um working during lunch and instead I did actually sit and eat I got ridiculously bored because everyone else was working and I was like who the hell do I talk to um but it that was the kind of shift where I was like oh yeah actually no one else is going to do this for me like the school will do what they can to support you, but you know that that's as the, as your um, employer they have that kind of well being responsibility. But ultimately, who's going to make you go to the toilet? Oh, that's going to be me. Who's going to make you eat? That's going to be me. Who's going to make you go to bed on time? That's probably going to be me. Um, who's going to make you like do things that actually make you feel good, like go out and go for a run or meet up with friends? That's probably going to be me. So that well being, your well being is your responsibility. Was the the big thing that made me go oh, actually, I've been doing this the wrong way around. And even though it was probably too late for me by that point, like the the panic attacks and the, the mental health brick wall that I hit at full pelt was, you know, it was too close around the corner. But it was the thing that kind of made me go, actually, there is a different way to do this. And more to the point, they were modelling it. They were practising it. And I was like, oh, actually, if they can do it, maybe I can as well. So that was really helpful. Yeah, that's an amazing insight there. And and you were sort of involved in education in sort of for sort of nine years or so in that particular sort of particular sort of roles within your job there. Um, how far into those years do you think you got before you were on that sort of slippery slope to where you ended up? Can you sort of pinpoint a moment where you suddenly felt you tipped over the edge, or could sort of hindsight looking back thinking actually I was probably always on that path and just didn't realise? I mean, I think I was probably always on that path and I never realised that whole, that that blind optimism. It's okay, it's okay, it's fine. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Like, you know, all of this stuff's piling up around you. That was my own mental load. Just keep swimming, just just ignore that. Keep going forward. Um, so I think I'd set myself on that path, but it was like, um, you know, near the end of like, I think my fourth year where I was just like, that's, that's when the panic attacks began. And... Um, the anxiety really hit me and I was like um uh referred for cognitive behavioral therapy and kind of like described my symptoms and stuff and they were like well that doesn't sound like anxiety that sounds like low mood like just we're not going to define it as depression but you sound depressed so that was really the point at which um it was although I had the support of my school although I began the CBT the counseling and everything it it kind of got to a point where I was just the thought of going into school made me feel physically sick. And I just felt so anxious about it that I was like, actually, I have to, I've got to, for the first time, acknowledge the stuff piling up around me. Actually, you know what? Just keep swimming is not a great motto. Actually, it's, it's a, it's a terrible motto because it doesn't acknowledge the human being that I am first. And, um, yeah, so that's that's really when it when it began, and it was very close to the end, really. Like you know, so yeah, yeah. Your body tells you one way or another, sooner or later. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't then... think we give it enough credit. Our bodies, you know, 
when yeah. we're being physically ill or if our gut is really churning um, or heart palpitations or literally like panic attacks, it is our body going, please stop, please stop moving. We don't want to do this anymore. So yeah, yeah. we have to listen to it. Yeah, I definitely hear you there. Um, what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Or indeed, is there a piece of advice you give your younger self looking back now? And I can probably imagine what some of that might be based on what we've been talking about already. But anyway. Um, I think it would be something along the lines of you have value outside of your job. Um, and that's only really something I've, even most most recently like begun to learn like I'm very work centric um I'm naturally a workaholic I have a ridiculously high work ethic but actually you know what life exists outside of that and um you know the things that you'll probably find most joyous are sitting crocheting on the sofa in the evenings whilst your partner also learns to crochet which has been a mental recent revelation <laughs> so it's it's things yeah it's there is joy and peace and love and abundance in in the the small things in life, and they're there all the time. You just got to look. Yeah, and and I think one one of the things I'd just add is the fact that it's very hard to get yourself out of any perception or any situation when, like you say, you've been going a hundred miles an hour for so long because it's all you know and it's what you've become as your norm. And it might look like from the outside, oh, you could do it differently and that kind of thing. I think, like you say, giving yourself love and grace and understanding that actually it's very hard to make a decision or make a difference. So you hit complete crisis point or you make those decisions early on, but that halfway house is, can be really tricky. So I think that's why I love these conversations because it might just somebody just thinking, ah, oh, yeah, I'm starting to recognize the sorts of things we're saying and how that fits in my life. So yeah, so it's great advice there. Um, you mentioned a book earlier on um, as a as a great resource that's made a difference. Is there another book or would you like to just sort of rearticulate the one that you mentioned before as something which has had an impact? I mean, yeah, James Clear's Atomic Habits is awesome. Um, really kind of explains how habits are formed and, and how to change your habits and stuff. And I think, you know, our even our perceptions are habits. It's, it's how we've gotten used to seeing things. So we need to change the glasses. But actually, I think the book that I love the most particularly at the moment I'm rereading it again it's called um you're a badass by Jen Sincero and it's just a fabulous book for and there's a version of it that's called like you're a badass every day and it's like literally just one page thing so you don't even have to read the whole book and it, it is really kind of encourages me to like actually own that I'm actually pretty darn awesome and that you know great things are happening to me and actually it's really helped me completely change my perspective and my mindset um and that actually now I have value and I deserve to to you know look after myself and things so that is always one that I recommend because I just and I just love the way that it's is written and stuff it's very um humorous down to earth it's good yeah fantastic and the acronym from education on fire the fire part of it's very important obviously to us here on the show and by that we mean feedback inspiration resilience and empowerment what's the the first thing that strikes you when you hear that um resilience doesn't mean that you have to always be capable of bouncing back resilience is sometimes a you need to take a pause to then build back up to be bouncing back so um i think resilience we can often use it as a stick to hit ourselves with but actually used well it's 
it's an acknowledgement of our human side and that you know something's knock us back and we will bounce back but don't expect a and we're here we're back it's mm-hmm. it's okay to take that time for yourself if that's what you need yeah i love that i think that's a it's a really important point the the time factor is something we don't always allow ourselves to have that kind of yeah taking the chance to to rehabilitate or um and that kind of thing is so and so important yeah Gemma thank you so much the time has just flown by I really appreciate all all the insights and the experience that you're that you've managed to share with us tell people where they can find out more and how they can get involved in the that community you were talking about um yeah so um best place to find me is probably in my free Facebook group which is called Teachers with Boundaries um, and from there I can point you in the direction of thriving middle leaders um, otherwise check me out on my website um, headsphere.co.uk or if you're on Twitter at gmail underscore drinkle fantastic thank you so much indeed and keep up the great work in supporting all those people that are, are really needing it especially currently in the education system as it stands yeah thank you so much Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.